0: You're sitting in that seat, your heart is racing, your mouth is dry, and across your forehead is that thin sheen of perspiration that happens to us all when we're under stress. Yep, you're sitting for your OBGYN oral board examination. One of the examiners asks you this question. All right, candidate, which one of these statements would you agree with? Progesterone has a role for miscarriage prevention, or progesterone has no role in miscarriage prevention? Well, if you'd take a deep breath, the correct answer would be yes. Ah, you see, it's a little bit trickier than that. So in this podcast, we're going to go through the data up to May of 2022. And remember, we're doing this podcast on April the 27th, 2022. So it's right off the cusp of new data, asking that age-old controversial question, does vaginal progesterone actually help reduce the risk of miscarriage? Now, we've tackled progesterone before in terms of preterm labor risk, What about miscarriage? Well, we're going to make it pretty clear in this session. Let's get to the data now. Howdy, this is Natalie Bublitz, PGY1 at Texas A&M University, and this is Clinical Pearls. Before we get into the data, I do want to thank our podcast community for reaching out after our recent podcast on vaginal progesterone for preterm birth, because I've had several questions come in on the same issue, which is, look, I'm glad we talked about progesterone for preterm labor. Men, has that thing gone through the gauntlet? But what about progesterone for miscarriage? I mean, just yesterday, I received a message from Miriam asking that, but before that, I received one from Lisa. And before that, I received one, but I don't remember from who because I deleted the message. The point is that these messages are recurrent and they're all on the same theme. I want to stop there for a second. Isn't that amazing? Look, these... Questions came in from all across the country, but with the same concept in mind. What about progesterone for miscarriage? And isn't that wild? See how we're all kind of bred. We're all kind of trained in the same manner of thought. All right, we've talked about progesterone for preterm birth. Now, the thing that would follow next is that sister discussion, so to speak, about progesterone and miscarriage. And I love that because these are all people who don't know each other, but all can come together through this site, through this venue, and kind of talk about these clinical issues. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, yesterday, I received Miriam's text when I was at a volleyball game for my daughter. <laughs> but we're always accessible, and it is one of my passions. And so, of course, we responded. And I thought, you know, that, again, is a great podcast topic. So let's get into this now because there's a lot of things that are happening with the most recent data just coming out of ACOG's most recent clinical meeting, which was May of 2022. This is an ever-evolving story. And at the end, I'm going to give you my take on it, but we're going to cover some big highlights on this topic so we can all get to a, well, some sort of consensus about whether we would recommend this to patients or not. I mentioned in the Progesterone for Preterm Birth podcast that was right before this one that this story has been one of a torrid, ironic love story. Well, that's the case for progesterone and preterm birth, and it's also the case for the use of progesterone for miscarriage protection, because there's a lot of twists and turns there, but we're going to try to make heads or tails out of this, and the truth is, well, we can. We have information to guide us and definitely come up with a consensus. Even the name of the original hormone, progesterone, is based on its progestational activity. I mean, that's what the hormone means. Now, before pregnancy, progesterone, remember, is secreted by the corpus luteum, and that promotes the development of the secretory endometrium, which is characterized by immunomodulary, paracrine, and endocrine effects that supports the implantation of an embryo. Then in early pregnancy, progesterone is critical for the maintenance of that pregnancy. Excising the corpus luteum early in pregnancy results in decreased progesterone levels and can result in miscarriage. That happens when the corpus luteum is removed under about 7 or 8 weeks. But between 7 and 8 weeks or 7 and 9 weeks, there's a luteal placental shift. This occurs when the placenta now takes over as the main progesterone-producing organ to sustain the pregnancy. So as a result, removal of the corpus luteum after 9 weeks is not thought to affect the pregnancy in any way. Everybody good? So progesterone super important when non-pregnant to support the implantation of the embryo, and in early pregnancies all corpus luteum-driven up until about seven to eight weeks, but after nine weeks, the placenta is now functioning as the main source of progesterone to sustain the pregnancy. Low progesterone levels have been associated with an increased rate of miscarriage. But here's the clinical conundrum. Here's the catch. Whether these low levels are the cause of or the consequence of a failed pregnancy is still unknown. Alright, so that's the catch. Remember, there's a lot of, of intricacies that goes into maintaining a pregnancy, so put, to put all the weight on just progesterone is just not fair, and that's why we don't know if the low progesterone causes a pregnancy loss or is a result of an already doomed gestation. Nonetheless, due to progesterone's progestational nature, it has long been desired to find out whether or not progesterone can help ward off miscarriages. Now, as a spoiler alert, you know, it's obviously not that clear cut because if that was the solution to all miscarriages, obviously everybody would be put on progesterone and miscarriages would not happen. Obviously, that's not the case. Early pregnancy loss affects anywhere from 20 to 25 percent of pregnancies, and there's just not much we can do about it unless they meet a specific patient characteristic. And we're going to talk about that in this podcast, because if anything, this one subgroup of patients may be the one to benefit from vaginal progesterone. Just as a point of recall, remember that the most common cause of early pregnancy loss is chromosomal abnormalities. They account for about 60% to 70% of all early miscarriages, but they happen to be less prevalent in women with more advanced gestations or women who have recurrent pregnancy loss or RPL. Let's park here with RPL for just a bit to go over some brief information that's going to be helpful. ASRM, remember that's the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, defines recurrent pregnancy loss as a loss of a pregnancy that's happened two or more times. Now, this is a problem. It's a little disconnect from the criteria used for antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, which is one of the possible causes of recurrent pregnancy loss. Because if you recall, one of the criteria for antiphospholipid antibody syndrome is three or more early gestational losses. So there's a disconnect and that's why some of the studies get kind of gray. Cause it depends on how you read how you define early recurrent pregnancy loss. ASRM uses two or more. However, the criteria for anti antiphospholipid antibody is three or more. We're talking about recurrent pregnancy loss because that's going to be one of the issues that we're going to have to tease out here. Because when we talk about progesterone from miscarriage, there really are two camps. Those who present with vaginal bleeding alone in the first trimester and have no previous history, in other words, just a regular old threatened AB, or those who present with a history. History of recurrent pregnancy loss and also happen to have a threatened A B. Those are big distinctions here, and that's gonna get us to our consensus agreement at the end. All right. So let's make that very plain. There's two camps here: threatened A B alone, especially like let's say a prima gravita or just no prior recurrent A B history, or those who have recurrent A B history and now present with first trimester vaginal bleeding. That's a big distinction, and we're gonna make that very plain as we review the studies. Remember that the workup for recurrent pregnancy loss requires a search for autoimmune conditions like antiphospholipid antibody syndrome or endocrine abnormalities like diabetes or thyroid abnormalities. It requires a search for uterine structural issues like perhaps big submucosal fibroids or a septate uterus, and also includes that search for balanced chromosomal translocations. So you just can't go, oh, you've lost a bunch of pregnancies. I get it. I'm going to give you progesterone. We still have a duty to do an evaluation for RPL. Oh, and talking about recurrent pregnancy loss, remember that neither ACOG nor ASRM state that inherited thrombophilias is part of that recurrent pregnancy loss workup. No, inherited thrombophilias do not cause recurrent miscarriage They cause DVT or PE events, and I've got a previous podcast that covered that. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, now let's tackle the evidence. Ironically, the three most telling studies all start with a letter P, which is appropriate since we're talking about progesterone. I guess the three studies are the Prism study, Promise study, and then the latest, whose results were just unveiled in May of twenty twenty two, is the Preempt study. Now, in addition to those, we're also going to review a twenty twenty one practice guidance update released from the NICE. Now, remember, that's not US, that's European, but the NICE or NICE guidelines are her respective authority. So, we're going to see what they have to say on the subject. And of course, we'll circle back to ACOG's statement on the subject. As you know how we do things, we're going to walk down this in terms of publication history, like we're walking down the tunnel of history and evidence. Ready? So, let's start in 2015 with the release of The Promise trial. This was a large trial that evaluated 836 women, all with a history of three or more pregnancy losses. So remember, we talked about the camps of study of, of participants or the camps of patients that we're going to do for our patient selection. So for promise, this was specifically for those with recurrent AB. All right. So we're going to see if progesterone works in that population according to the study. I kind of like the study name, right? Promise, like, oh, you've got three losses at least. um, Now we're going to promise to help you get another live birth. Kind of makes sense to me. Oh, by the way, quick side note, never promise that you're going to get a patient another live birth because, yeah, we just don't have that power or authority. Patients in this PROMISE study received 400 milligrams of micronized progesterone twice daily, so 800 total, from the time of a positive urine pregnancy test until 12 gestational weeks. The relative risk for live births after 24 weeks of gestation in the progesterone treatment group was 1.05. Yeah, not great. And the confidence intervals crossed one. Remember, that kind of means, yeah, kind of more left to chance. The confidence interval was 0.94 to 1.15. So here's what the numbers look like. The live birth rate in the progesterone group was 66% and in the placebo was 63%. Now, they did find something significant, that a post-hoc subgroup analysis based on the number of previous miscarriages, either three or four or more, showed a non-significant trend towards increased efficacy with increasing number of previously miscarriages. So what does that mean? Well, It wasn't great results. In other words, yeah, probably not more than chance. But in those women with high number recurrent miscarriages, there was a non-significant trend towards increased efficacy. All those are fancy words to go. Well, there was no adverse effects. It didn't cause miscarriage. And maybe, just maybe, in those with high number recurrent miscarriages, maybe it could help. I know, I know. It's not great data. But wait a minute. We're not done. But wait. There's more. Now let's move from that study to 2019 with the PRISM trial. No, not prison. Sometimes it's my Hispanic accent, I guess. It's PRISM, (laughs) like light goes through a glass as a PRISM, P-R-I-S-M. This was a large, multi-center, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. Man, that's a lot of words. The study involved over 4,000 women that were between the ages of 16 and 39, These candidates, these study participants, all presented with vaginal bleeding in the presence of an IUP, and they had to be less than 12 weeks along. Well, what happened? Well, the relative risk of ongoing pregnancy at 12 weeks with 400 milligrams of twice-daily vaginal progesterone, again, wasn't really great results. It was 1.04, with a confidence interval of 1.01 to 1.07. Eh, not great, but no, thankfully it wasn't any worse, but it just seemed to help maybe a little bit. But here's the catch. A more pronounced effect was seen in those with a history of three or more miscarriages. So that kind of confirmed what was found with the original PROMISE trial. The live birth rates in the subgroup were 72% in those with recurrent miscarriage, and it was 57% in the placebo group. 2019, which was the same year as the PRISM study, also found a new Cochrane review on the same subject. Well, Cochrane concluded, look, a lot of the quality of this evidence is low to moderate quality, but based on what we can see, quote, We believe that evidence from randomized controlled trials state that giving progesterone medication may help to prevent miscarriage for women with previous recurrent miscarriages, end quote. So Cochrane took the stance of, look, if they have recurrent miscarriage based on the available data, yeah, even though it's not great data, it may potentially help. Now let's leave 2019 and get to 2020. In 2020, a new critical analysis of those two main studies, PRISM and Promise, was done and they were published in the Gray Journal, that's the American Journal of OBGYN. The lead author was Ari Kumasarami. Now here's what these authors, and it's a big group, it's a big research base, here's what they said after re-looking at the data. According to this critical reevaluation, the authors concluded that in women with a history of previous miscarriage who presented in the first trimester with vaginal bleeding, the use of progesterone 400 milligrams twice daily actually seemed to have some benefit. So based on the 2020 review, these authors say, hey, it's worth a shot. In that patient subpopulation, recurrent miscarriage and who present with vaginal bleeding. Remember, that's going to mean a lot in this next section coming up. All right, well, that was all that was needed to offer some hope. And the following year, in 2021, this led to a nice practice guideline update. Remember again, this is from the UK, and it comes from the NICE. In November of 2021, NICE updated their clinical guidance that covered the management of threatened miscarriage in the first trimester. NICE recommended offering vaginal micronized progesterone twice daily until about 16 weeks, which was a little bit longer than most studies had actually recommended, because most stop at 14 weeks, the end of the first trimester. But they did find that in that population, those with a previous miscarriage and who were currently experiencing first trimester vaginal bleeding, that the use of vaginal progesterone may help. Everybody get that? So, in other words, those with a history of recurrent miscarriage alone without vaginal bleeding, no benefit was found for that group, nor was benefit found for those who presented with vaginal bleeding in the first trimester of threatened AB, but without a history of recurrent AB. So that subpopulation that seems to have benefit for vaginal micronized progesterone are those with a history of previous loss and now who present with threatened AB vaginal bleeding. Well, podcast family, as we get toward the end of the podcast, it would be nice to stop there, wouldn't it? We seem to have our patient population that would benefit the most and call it a day. But it's not that easy, of course. Because in May of 2022, at the ACOG Annual Clinical and Scientific Meeting, new data come up. They presented the results of the preempt study, and so let's cover that now. Man, just when we thought we had an answer, here comes the preempt trial. This was a multi center, double blind, randomized study, and it called into question the previous evidence that suggested that progesterone could actually help. The preempt trial was conducted between 2016 and 2020, and it compared 200 milligrams of micronized progesterone vaginally administered nightly from presentation in the first trimester all the way to 34 weeks. Now here's the catch. Remember, this was 200 milligrams, while other study used 400 milligrams or 400 milligrams twice a day. Most would stick with 400 milligrams twice a day as a usual dose. I think that's pretty high, but that's what the data was that showed some benefit. And this was compared to a placebo. This trial involved women with vaginal bleeding and an IUP at less than 14 weeks on presentation. But here's the catch. This excluded women with recurrent pregnancy loss. So again, everybody jumped on the PREM study just a couple of months ago that, oh, progesterone doesn't work, but it specifically excluded women with recurrent pregnancy where all of the other data seemed to show benefit. Now remember, so even though we're not going to be able to draw a conclusion of progesterone use in recurrent AB, it still gives us some idea on whether overall it helps in those who present with threatened AB alone. So what did they find? Well, you can guess it. Yep, it found no significant difference in those who received progesterone compared to placebo. But they also saw no adverse issues on the maternal or the fetal side. So it didn't hurt, but it also didn't help. Now, remember, here's a catch. This is only in those women who presented with first trimester threatened AB vaginal bleeding and no miscarriage history. This study was presented in May of 2022 as an oral abstract, and it actually earns second place at the conference for the data. So that's pretty exciting. So what's the take home from this new study, the preempt trial that just came out May of 2022? Well, the take home is very easy. And those women who present with Thrend AB alone, without any previous history, progesterone does not work. Well, that's exactly what the NICE guidelines said. So everybody thought that NICE was wrong when the pre study came out because it said, look, it doesn't help, but that's a different population so nice was actually onto something in the, with its 2021 practice guidance update because it shows in those with previous miscarriage history who also have vaginal bleeding vaginal progesterone may be of benefit all right podcast family now that we're at the end what does aCOG say well not much aCOG kind of leaves most of this discussion to ASRM but aCOG does have this statement look there's limited evidence that it works we're unsure may be considered in those with previous miscarriage with AB. So it's a little softer stance than NICE has, but they definitely don't make a strong recommendation not to use it or definitely to use it. So it's a very soft call. But again, the data show that in those patients with recurrent miscarriage who present with a threatened AB with vaginal bleeding, progesterone may be an option excluding any other possible sources. This assumes that you've already done a workup and haven't found anything else. So for those with a negative workup, That's the first thing. Second, with a previous history of recurrent miscarriage. And then the third, who actually present with threatened AB vaginal bleeding in the first trimester. That's that specific subpopulation where this can be helpful. Lisa? Miriam, well, there's your answer. A little bit more complete than I could do in just a couple of texts on the Facebook Messenger site, but I hope this helps. So what would you answer for that ABOG oral examiner? Well, as I mentioned before, the answer is yes. So whether you say progesterone has no role in miscarriage prevention or it has some role, you're both right because the answer there has to do with the patient population. Number one, it's still our job and our ethical duty to try to find a reason for miscarriage and try to give the patient some information, especially with recurrent miscarriage patients. But after you exclude any other issue, those patients with previous recurrent miscarriages who present with vaginal bleeding in that very specific subpopulation, vaginal micronized progesterone at 400 milligrams at least once a day, preferably twice a day, may, and that's the key word, may offer some help. Remember, this is all part of shared decision-making. I've used vaginal progesterone uh, for these patients. And, you know, what can I say? It's anecdotal history, but it seems to do something. But what's the chance that they wouldn't have lost by themselves? Well, it's also pretty high. So hope this podcast helped you. This is a ever-evolving issue, but we're as current as May of 2022 on this subject. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.